This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. Today, we're using a different format for this session. It's going to be a roundtable discussion regarding exciting developments in the world of quantum sensors. I'm delighted to welcome Stuart Woods, Chief Operating and Strategy Officer at Quantum Exponential, Niall Holmes, the founder and scientific advisor at Circumagnetics, and Pete Sterling, founder at Delta G. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. Great to be here. I want to start by asking each of you to share some background on how you got involved in quantum. Um, Niall, let's start with you. What is your background in current role? How did you get into quantum sensors? Um, so, yeah, um, thanks for having me on first. I'm one of the co-founders and the scientific advisor for Circa Magnetics Limited. I'm actually a, um, I, we came out of a University of Nottingham um, research project. Um, I guess we um, saw an, sort of an opportunity with developments in quantum sensors to apply them to to, to a, a medical imaging, and that's sort of something that Nottingham's got quite a good history of, and something that we're quite proud to continue. Thank you, and Pete. What about you? How did you come to the quantum space? Well, yeah, well, I'm a. And I'm, thanks for having me on. I'm a co-founder and CEO of, of Delta G. Um, so I'm an environmental scientist by a degree, a master's degree, and spent the first phase of my career in, in clean tech, and then latterly was with a a family business called Sterling Dynamics in the aerospace and defence sector. And that business uh, sold via trade sale in 2018 to a large French engineering services company. And since then, I've become active as a, an angel investor in deep tech and also developed a new uh, um, engineering services company called STL Tech that provides uh, electronics and software support to early stage deep, stage deep tech ventures. And one of those companies that I both invested in and, and the company STL has provided significant engineering support to is called QLM that uh, emerged from a University of Bristol-led uh, program called QTech uh, that was funded by EPSRC here in the UK. And uh, that company's grown quite significantly from one individual with a PhD to about 25, 30 people having done multiple funding rounds and is, is scaling that technology. It's a quantum-enabled methane detecting sensor. So through my engagement with QLM, that's brought me into the wider quantum domain. And uh, given it's sort of emerging um, and it's very much emerging now and it's well supported by the government, there's... Uh, you know, lots of opportunities, and uh, that's allowed me to engage uh, more broadly with other academic institutes and and corporations, and that's uh, led me to Delta G. Great, thank you. And Stuart, what about you? Tell our listeners how you got involved in quantum previous roles, maybe in your current Absolutely. role. Absolutely. Of course, Chris. I guess I really started into quantum many years ago, and I majored in uh, organic chemistry, and back then we were doing some projects around mapping of electronegativity receptor sites for uh, cancer drugs, but also uh, carcinogenics. And back then it wasn't called computational chemistry. It was just called uh, doing something on a computer. After that, uh, I guess I've always been in deep tech. About a third of my career has been in lasers, just about every type of laser you can imagine. And then uh, about uh, four years ago, I took over managing uh, as managing director for Oxford Instruments. So uh, working in cryogenics, which uh, I've known the folks at uh, quantum exponential for the past year. And uh, given my experience and background, always being on the commercial side of startups and deep tech, 
Uh, now my role is focused uh, on funding, enabling, and developing quantum and, and the larger, broader, broader uh, quantum ecosystem. Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for those introductions. Now, I want to turn to you first. The Circa OPM Meg system is described as the world's most advanced functional brain scanner. It's an integrated, lightweight, ergonomic, wearable device. Um, it's a revolutionary product designed to transform the neuroimaging landscape. I have to ask, how did you decide to develop a wearable 3D printable quantum sensor-based medical device? Was there a compelling event that triggered this in interest? Um, it's a very good question. I, I think we've, in Nottingham, um, it's the home of MRI. It's where the Sir Peter Mansfield developed the physics to, that, that you know goes into all MRI scanners now in the 70s and 80s. He won the Nobel Prize for it. So Nottingham has had a long history of applying physics to medical technologies, especially to medical imaging. And not only um, was um, and still is Nottingham kind of at the forefront of medical of MRI technology development. Um, we've also been working on another technique that's called uh, magnetoencephalography. So that's the the MEG or the MEG part of OPM MEG, and that is slightly different to MRI. Instead of taking a, a sort of picture of what the inside of the the body might look like or the brain in, in our case, we actually measure the magnetic fields generated by neurons firing in the brain. And um, by doing that, you can build images of brain function um, that has a sort of unique combination of really high spatial and really high temporal resolution. So we can tell um, the signals that are happening in the brain and exactly where they are coming from. Um, it's not probably a very commonly known technique, mostly because the current state of the art systems require um, liquid helium temperatures. They need operating in a big uh, magnetically shielded environment and you have to remain sort of bolt still during a scan. So I guess what we really saw um, in Nottingham um, was the miniaturization of, of quantum magnetic field sensors um, to, uh, called optically pumped magnetometers or OPMs. Um, and they just solved all of these problems. So, so Meg has, you know, it takes away the reliance on cryogenics, which makes them cheaper to run. It takes away the one size fits all nature of a cryogenic system. So you can build systems that adapt to, to scanning children and then to scanning adults. It removes the requirement to remain still because you can, they're so light, you can put them in a 3D printed helmet. And I think, yeah, just that one opportunity, that change in sense technology that, that you know, performs as well as the cryogens, but in something that, that you know, it really is about the size of a, a Lego brick. Um, I guess that's what really the, drew us into um, this exciting new technology. And without that change in instrumentation, we wouldn't have been able to do anything um, that we've done um, so wow. far. No, it's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Pete, I want to turn to you. So Delta G is a gravity sensing company that's developed a cutting edge underground imaging system, leveraging quantum technology to measure gravity gradients. Can you tell our listeners, you know, what's the backstory on Delta G? How did this company emerge? And what is it about Delta G's technology specifically that will make the difference? Sure. Well, um, because of my experience, um, as I said, with QLM, um, I began to look around the, the uh, UK research uh, landscape, and that led me to University of Birmingham and an initial discussions with uh, Professor Kai Bongs, who uh, at that time led, led the um, Quantum Hub for Sensors and Timing based out of uh, Birmingham. He introduced me to Professor Mike Halinski, who's now uh, now replaced Kai, who's, who's moved, moved elsewhere. And I explained the background uh, and how I was looking to engage and uh, got a very good reception from Mike and his team because they had been 
developing this uh, gravity gradiometer technology across various um, uh, research council and uh, Ministry of Defence and Innovate UK funding programmes for the last 11 years and had built various demonstrators. And they'd also just had a, a, a well-acclaimed uh, paper published in, in Nature. And because that that was the culmination of work that they had actually taken uh, the gravity gradiometer outside and got some real-world data that was very, very promising. So we then agreed to work together on spinning the company out and um, applied for some Innovate UK funding and agreed that we would form the business plan, build a pitch deck, build a financial model, and take that to uh, venture capitalists and, and angel investors. And moving forward, we then negotiated the license with the university and closed the funding round for um, Delta G in two or three months ago. Um, and, but fortunately, we had started the, the technology program, which is basically uh, scaling down, scaling up or scaling down, depending on which way you look at it, um, the technology, because the research machine is very large and not practical to take in the field. And, and the current um, project that we are running with the, the funding we've raised is to reduce size, weight, power and cost and, and take this device out into the field. So it's been a very positive collaboration between um, some fantastic scientists who have hit some amazing proof points with their research and uh, myself and my team have got commercial and investment and engineering expertise and we've got to brought all those skills together uh, around this brilliant technology and uh, now have an exciting um, program to take it forward and uh, fortunately Based on the recent PR we got from our um, uh, funding round, we're having lots of inbound interest from both you know, potential customers and, and future investors. So it's a, it's a good time for Delta G. That's terrific. Thank you. Stuart, I want to turn to you. So Circa and Delta G are both in the quantum sensing space, but they represent two very different use cases. From you know where you sit at Quantum Exponential, why do you think it's smart to invest in these companies? What's the... What's the value prop? What's the addressable opportunity? Absolutely, Chris. I mean, you and I, we hear a lot of uh, press around quantum computing, but from my standpoint, what we see at uh, Quantum Exponential is the activity around quantum sensing is a lot more real and a lot more near. Quantum sensing, or uh, from this standpoint, can really be divided into medical applications, smart infrastructure, smart city, defense, and and let's call it timing and navigation as a, as a fourth vertical. These devices offer the capability, you know, as both Niall and, and Pete have indicated, the ability to sense at a very small level in the absence of any other way of thinking about it, changes in, our, in, our, in us as humans, changes in our bodies, changes in our brain, or as uh, Delta G has spoken about, changes in the world, changes in mass, changes to to elements that exist or even sensing changes in density underground. This offers the capability to now move to first world, first level or first order measurements of things that we've never been able to measure before. Uh, as Niall spoke about, you know, activity in the brain is, is electrical, right? You know, this causes magnetic changes. You know, as Pete spoke about, mass and elements with regards to things underground are things that are gravity-based or mass-based. And this ability to now view this is a completely new space for us to explore. Uh, from our standpoint, we're an investor in Delta G. Uh, with regards to Nile and Sarah Magnetics, we sponsored the QBIG prize versus through the IOP, the Institute of Physics, and Sarah Magnetics was the winner of that prize. So we're tied to both companies from that standpoint and we certainly believe in the opportunity and in the path going forward around 
quantum sensors in general. And, and this is very important because, you know, from a deployment standpoint, as both Pete and Niall will tell you, they're in, in very solid proto- prototype stages now with regards to their products. And this is quite exciting because whether it's touching and, and measuring the brain or, or looking underneath the ground, uh, you know, for smart city, smart infrastructure, uh, you know, the capability of having impacts today is particularly within the next, you know, uh, years is, is a lot sooner than possibly what we'll see with some of the quantum computers actually solving massive problems or, or changes that we're, we're hoping. Yes. No, thank you for sharing that. I want to continue uh, on the thread around the prize. So Niall, I was actually lucky enough to be in London at the commercial quantum event when you uh, received that award from the IOP, the QBIG Prize. Congratulations. Uh, I wanted to ask how you're going to use these funds. What's the sort of what's the roadmap? What are next steps to moving the, the company forward? Um, yeah, that's it. thank you. I'm, I, it was a good day, actually. I quite enjoyed the the event, so I'm glad that um, I'm glad that, that you were able to make it over. I, um, I I guess at the moment, what we're doing really is translating a, a university prototype, the prototype that that I um, was part of the team that developed during my PhD at the university, to um, I, I guess firstly a sort of research product. So you know, we currently sell the systems as a tool for neuroscience research for clinical research um it's not yet a tool that's medically approved for um use in patients for use in hospitals but i think that to us represents the that's obviously the next big thing that to us represents the 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 larger market that we'd like to access and and um the prize money uh, as well as a um biomedical catalyst um grant we won from from innovate uk um is all going to be put towards that goal so i think you know we were a team of university scientists and 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 engineers from a a company called magnetic shields limited who uh joint venture partner with the university of nottingham to set up circa that has uh, gone very well and we've been able to sort of manage the 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 science team and, and some of the engineers but now we really need you know we need dedicated you know, quality engineers, sorting the software, sorting the safety, sorting the electrical regulations and making sure that we have a product that is ready to take to uh, the FDA or the, the EU equivalent or, or the UK equivalent to uh, become registered as a medical device. And I think our our um, primary target for, for application is in, is in epilepsy. Um, it's uh, MEG even the, the conventional systems, although there aren't many of them around, they already have a sort of um, a clear benefit to patients in ep- with epilepsy. We're hoping that the reduced cost and all of the other advantages of OPM Meg can really um, allow us a you know a, a, a decent uh, to make a decent go at that market. Yeah, great. No, thank you for sharing that. Pete posed the same question to you. You sort of mentioned um, you'd raised uh, 1.5 million pounds in a pre-seed round. Um, how are you going to use those funds at, at Delta G? What's the plan? Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, we've recruited the first uh, members of staff into the business um, from both the research group and, and, and myself and a couple of others. Uh, we've got a range of subcontractors. The engineering partner I mentioned is supporting materials, obviously, facilities, the, the usual stuff. But the roadmap is to take 
the existing uh, research grade machine and, and the science and the physics is, is almost there, but will continue to be improved upon and reducing it down from something the size of, uh, let's say, a very large sort of industrial fridge unit to something that's more akin to a, a large microwave um, that we can actually take out into the field. So that's what we're terming, um, you know, we're taking the lab demonstrator and building what we call an A model, which is a pre-production demonstrator. And that will be ready spring next year. Um, and we'll do our own internal tests through the summer. And then um, uh, around October 2024, we will be providing um, surveying programs of support to our existing industrial partners in uh, the civil and infrastructure space and the defence space and potentially uh, uh, the mining and resources areas. So that's what we're doing. We've also got a, a line of sight of a program beyond that to build what we're then terming the B model, which is then getting us close into production. So we're aiming to start the, um, the, the that next iteration of development spring next year, where once we finish the design of the A model and really getting that going. So we'd have the next iteration ready in sort of summer 2025. And we've got existing relationships with um, contract electronics manufacturers that will allow us to get into sort of full production beyond there. So um, we've got a pretty clear roadmap um, and the resources uh, both capital and uh, capability to, to deliver on that in a, in a timely manner. And that's needed because we really have a lot of interest in this technology across you know, the range of industrial verticals that we're, that we're targeting. Yeah, great. No, thank you for sharing. I look forward to following your progress. That's an exciting roadmap. Uh, Stuart, I want to turn to you. You had mentioned before, and I think we all sort of share this perspective, that quantum computing kind of is the darling, the bell of the ball. It gets a lot of the press. It's the you know the spotlight of the media. Um, but from an investment perspective, for investors interested in quantum, can you share with our listeners how much of the quantum exponential portfolio is dedicated to quantum sensing and why? And wondering, are you also yeah, investing sure. in other quantum technologies, maybe computing, yeah, sure, and sure. networks, and cryptography? Yeah, sure. Of course, Chris. So broadly, uh, a third of our portfolio is currently dedicated to quantum sensing. We do anticipate that growing, particularly as we start to uh, dig deeper into medical-related quantum sensing. We believe this will be quite uh, robust and quite strong development. As as Niall sort of hinted at, the ability to sort of view into the body and and really, you know, what amounts to next-generation MRI machines is really the potential that we're talking about here. Um, yes, we we do uh, also invest in quantum computing. As you know, Chris, you know, uh, commercially, there are some strong players in quantum computing, you know, Google, Microsoft, IBM, uh, Rigetti, uh, uh, IonQ, to name a few. Obviously, our investments in quantum computing, we're very happy with. We've invested in uh, Oxford Quantum Circuits and Universal Quantum, and we believe this is really the, the cream of the venture side with regards to quantum computing. Uh, going forward, like we said, we also believe quite strongly in other aspects of quantum sensing, in, including navigation and, and timing. Uh, as you can imagine, and, and Chris, you and I have spoken about before, you know, our dependency as, as nations uh, on uh, GPS or GNSS and the potential for that outage to happen uh, and the impact that has on our, our time synchronization uh, here terrestrial is, is significant. And the numbers can be on the orders of uh, billions a, a day if we lost GNSS connection and, and lost timing synchronization. So within quantum sensing also includes quantum clocks. And this capability is something that we also believe is just fundamental to the next 
fabric of infrastructure uh, that society has to develop along with, like Pete spoke about and Niall spoke about, uh, our ability to understand and view uh, whether under the ground or, or in the body with regards to quantum activity. Yeah, a tremendous potential, certainly. That's uh, exciting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Niall, again, in the spirit of kind of you know real-world applications, this is stuff that's going on today. Uh, in preparing for our podcast, I read that you have three installations coming up. So I wonder if you could describe them and, and specifically what kind of use cases are you addressing in these uh, instantiations? Yeah, um, we've, we've been quite overwhelmed, I think. I, I, I guess when we started as a university group, it, I don't think commercialization was necessarily on our minds. Um, we were ended up being approached in the earlier days by groups who wanted to maybe have some of the hardware we developed to allow the sensors to work in the right way and there were you know all we there were groups who were trying to replicate what we'd done for their own studies and asking if we could help and i think ultimately we we kind of almost got figured out that maybe this is something we we could take ownership of and 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 and, and try and do so um the people that contact us initially is um sick kids hospital in toronto which is sort of the equivalent of great ormond street here in uh, the uk um and they well, uh, Professor Margot Taylor um, there, she um, investigates um, children with autism. So really the benefits for using our system in order to do that, in order to be able to have kids that can be comfortable whilst being scanned. You know, you can imagine taking a young child into an MRI scanner. It just doesn't work. You, you don't, yeah. you know, and the fact that they can just sit down, you know, have the hel- hel- helmet containing the sensors just, you know, dropped on the head. And it, it really is as easy as that. I think that kind of thing just draws the attention of, of, of people like Dr. Taylor, who, who, um, who, who were really interested in that space. We've also, um, so that was our first install, which was in um, sort of the summer of, of, of 2021. Um, since then, we've also put one in Young Epilepsy, which is a, a charity in the UK um, for young children and adults with epilepsy. And again, it's about just that little bit more comfort for the the patients so they that you know if they come in for an eeg which is the clinical sort of gold standard it's a long setup process they have electrodes glued to their head it, it, if it doesn't work it, it sort of doesn't work you know there's a there's a lot of effort that goes into it and you might not get the good results again with this they can just take the helmet off drop it on and go so they're affiliated also with great ormond street so they're trying to you know, see where OPM Meg can be useful in the in this pathway. Uh, we have a another finished install in in um, Boystown National Research Hospital in Nebraska in the US, and um, they're really interested in um, sort of neurodevelopment. So, if you like, we know quite a lot about how adults with um, certain conditions differ from what might be the the, the tip what we describe as sort of the typical adult but what we don't really know is that at which point in in our development as we as we grow up at which point do do, do things start to 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 deviate um and again it's it's a lack of data you know we, we can't scan lots of people in mri scanners we can't put the right um patient groups through the mri scanners we can't get the data that we need with something like this where it's open and you can sit and have a wearable um scanner it's much easier and they're really interested in scanning across the lifespan so doing longitudinal studies of people but also doing um just scanning as many people as possible and amongst you know amongst uh, other things that they want to look at these 
these um, research teams want to look at things like social interactions. So if you, you know, scan two people having a conversation, having a conversation like this and, and how our brains actually might synchronize in some ways and how in certain disorders, so, so again, things like autism and other um, issues that can affect us, our social um, our, our social abilities, um, how the brains almost don't interact and things like that. So yeah, yeah there's quite a wide range of, of stuff as well as the, um, the the clinical ideas with epilepsy. There's a lot of neuroscience research that can just be, you know, researchers can think a little bit differently. Yeah, and accelerate it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Keeping the theme of real-world applications, Pete, I want to turn to you. You kind of implied um, some of the use cases or settings where Delta G solution might be applied, but can you, without violating any you know proprietary uh, NDAs or sharing confidential client information, can you share with our listeners you know where the solution is going to be applied or where it's currently being applied, what the application areas might be? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, with the core sensor can be applied to, to um, various industrial verticals with some adaption for each. But the, the progression of the core sensor will allow us to address all of those markets. So, the first market we're going at is construction and infrastructure. So, obviously, um, utilities and infrastructure developers need to have a better understanding of um, sort of uh, the, the visualization of the underground. And there are, of course, existing incumbents, and we're looking to add an additional layer. Um, to those additional incumbents. So we're not saying we're replacing or we're better than this. We actually believe we can bring some uh, further high-quality information to, the, to those domains. So um, we've got you know construction projects, quite significant ones, and large um, consultancies that are delivering these projects, very interested, very keen to come and understand the existing capability of the, the research technology, because that's the fundamental science, and um, our, our roadmap to delivering this first iteration, and, and we're starting to sort of sign up those uh, those end, end users for those those trials. So, an exciting time really in terms of uh, what we can you know what we can do. So, the other markets, of course, um, as Stuart's alluded to, is uh, PNT. So, with this sensor, when it's mapped against an existing gravity map, it can give you uh, its position, which obviously is important in terms of potential lack of availability of, of uh, GPS. So obviously there's significant applications for that in um, uh, maritime, defence domains, potentially um, uh, autonomous vehicles, etc. So again, we have a lot of interest from uh, the defence sector um, in particular there. And then beyond that, of course, um, you know, resource identification. So we do have interest from uh, mining companies, for example, um, and traditional uh, energy companies, uh, and also carbon capture and storage and, uh, and the like, and supporting monitoring of infrastructure, obviously, as well. And um, in addition to that, we do also have potential in, in the space sector as well. So one of those is kind of a Earth observation. Yes. So if we, so Pete, I just have to, I just have to ask you, interrupt you. I mean, the the Indian team landed a rover on the south pole of the moon today. So my thought in preparing for this conversation with you is, are there extraterrestrial applications in the space economy? Potentially, they're a little bit further out. But if we could make you know small enough gradiometers that we can then place on compact satellites, we could routinely map and, and monitor from space. So, um, you know, that would be really interesting in terms of water resources and, and, and other sort of ground movements for infrastructure. So, yeah, we definitely have considerations there. Um, and another application 
we'll be looking at variations in uh, atmospheric dense, density, uh, which is obviously uh, important for space weather predictions. So, uh, so yeah, we do have um, uh, ideas and interest in, in, in the space domain. I want to turn to a topic now that's near and dear to my heart as a workplace futurist and nonlinear multimodal careerist. I want to get your take on the challenges facing companies like Circa, Delta G, and Quantum Exponential in finding quantum talent. So I want to get your take, you know, take a minute or two to talk about how you recruit for your company. So obviously now you're at a uh, university and, and Pete, you have affiliations as well. Um, how do you go about recruiting? Are there specific skills you're looking to hire in order to advance the business model? Now, let me start with you. Yeah, we've, um, I guess, because we spent out of the university group, um, the, the, there's, and there's a lot of research going on there. So um, uh, Professor Matt Brooks leads the, the MEG research at Nottingham. Um, we initially had funding from the Wellcome Trust. We then had quite significant funding from the, the Quantum Hub for Sensors and Timing, which, which Pete uh, mentioned earlier, sort of headed by the University of Birmingham. Um, and I, I guess so far, in a, in a need to adapt quickly and to move and to, to deliver, we've um, we've we've been able to recruit, you know, sort of graduating PhD students and um, and just sort of more general engineers for. I guess what is the the, the core of what we do is is at Circa is is combined technologies. Um, so we combine magnetic shielding. Um, I said already, magnetic shields are our sort of partner in 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 uh, with the University of Nottingham in, in Circa. So that's a core element, the magnetic shielding. Another core element is the the, the MEG expertise that comes out of the university research group and then we're um our sensors are are from a, a u.s company called called qspin um so th- those three things combined are really what we what we need i think sort of more long term it's it's it, obviously there's going to be slight difficulties balancing the, the needs of a re- research group and the and the needs of circa as a company and and you know you don't want all your talent from the university to fall into um companies but equally it, it, it they, that you know, talent needs to come from uh, somewhere. I think one thing we've we've found as as we've got more serious and and you know more systems going out that that it is um, perhaps not necessarily the true quantum um, scientist skill set, but, but but actually just um, you know general engineers and and electronic engineers and software engineers and people who can really provide the ballast behind um, behind the core technology that 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 allows us to, to take it to market. Um, yeah. Pete, what about you? So I bet there aren't many civil engineering trained students who understand quantum at the same time. Or well, yeah. how, do you, how do you recruit for such a unique uh, you know, solution? Well, we're moving into new territory with the emergence of, of, of Delta G. And um, the answer will probably be pretty similar to Niles. He seems to get a little bit further down down the journey. But if I turn it around a bit, when we were pitching to investors, we laid out some pretty simple sort of go-to-market approaches. Look, can we sell this sensor? Can we provide, uh, can we rent the sensor? Can we provide site serving services? And ultimately, further down the line, when we're gathering data, could we provide data as a B2B SaaS model? Unfortunately, our investors were, were supportive in that, look, you know, we're early stage. We know we could do all, any of those or a combination, but let's go out and, and build the technology and build the commercial interest and, and take it from there. So if we look at what's required to go ahead and deliver on that, we need the physicists um, and we and we have you know, the, the founders in, in Delta G, um, Andrew, our CTO, and Jonathan, our uh, head of engineering. And we will draw on 
further capability from the university in a controlled manner, um, absolutely, and, and, and other departments at the university. And um, the early support on the electronics software is coming from my engineering company. And of course, as the company grows, it will recruit its own capabilities. Um, and then beyond that, the gaps we'd have are more sort of traditional um, uh, data and, and analytics, and if we want to pursue that um, uh, B2B SaaS model, and that's something we don't have. But that you know, we should be able to, to get those skills in, in the market as we gather pace. So it's a combination. Of course, when you're recruiting for anything, you look at who you know within your network. And then beyond <laughs> yeah. that, you yeah. look at the broader network and, of course, what um, you know traditional support you can get from specialist recruiters and, and, and other uh, organizations. But, um, you know, it is a small but very emerging space. And um, it seems quite I wouldn't say close-knit, but well communicated between all of the actors. Um, there's good communication between the whole quantum movement. So, um, you know, I definitely think as, as uh, Delta G gathers momentum and the story grows, uh, we'll be able to build links with the resources that we need to um, successfully commercialize. Yeah, no, great point. Leveraging the close-knit community is certainly key. That's that's a great point. Stuart, what about you? Lots of interest, uh, increasing interest, right, in investing in quantum where – where to put money and where there's opportunity. How do you recruit for Quantum Exponential? I mean, from our standpoint, particularly with Quantum Exponential, it is unique for us where we're looking for the intersection between, you know, physics, uh, but also financial or financial understanding. Uh, And it is is a unique role. And we look for people that are primarily curious, uh, that have an interest in, being curious and looking outside and quite broad within physics. And it is, it is unique. It is a special skill. Uh, it is probably certainly different than the Niall or Pete outlined, you know, for what we look for. You can imagine uh, a quantum physicist with a, with a broad understanding and a lot of curiosity, right, that wants to look out outside of his core domain. That's what we look for. Um, if I go backwards a little bit to my previous challenges, uh, you know, in, in, in history and, and, you know, other careers, I think, you know, number one, you know, you know, Niall and, and Pete both highlighted it, you know, it comes to the question of scalability and how do you scale these startups and businesses? Yeah. And, and really, when you look at it, you not only need quantum physicists, but you need people that can, you know, that are broadly are, you know, plumbers and electricians, right? Mm-hmm. You need people that, can build things, build things well, build things to spec, and and, and go from there, and, and really be able to to debug and 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 uh, you know work to to assembly instructions, you know. And from my standpoint, whether it's you know supporting apprentice programs here in the UK, or if it looks at the community college uh, you know systems in in the US, both I think are areas that we have to look for and support. Uh, through the quantum interest, inter, you know, ecosystem from that standpoint. Yeah, great perspective. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. We're coming to the end of the podcast, and I always like to conclude by asking my guests to share their vision of where, in this case, quantum sensors might be, say, in three to five, seven years, and more broadly, what kind of impact uh, you think they'll have on how we live and work, maybe impact on various verticals, certainly now healthcare Pete, in sort of civil engineering and uh, smart cities. Um, what's what's your take? Look into your crystal ball for a moment and take a minute and share um, where you think this might be going, what the value prop might be in, you know, for children, grandchildren. Pete, want to start with you. 
Uh, sure. I mean, ju- just quickly on the uh, recruitment point. I mean, ultimately, quantum's cool, and most people think that they're on the outside and looking if there's an opportunity to get into it. So I think we've got an advantage there. So that's something a point I wanted to make. <laughs> yes, um, good point. So that's all good. And in terms of the future, I think, you know, what I, I would like to see from a, a sensing perspective is, you know, the fact is there are big corporations and uh, very strong research institutes that have been researching uh, for a number of years these, these very promising techniques. So there is a whole host of capability in research and IP. Um, some of which, you know, will have high potential and will start to continue to emerge as we're seeing um, with, with the guests on this podcast. So, you know, in the near term, I'd like to see more of that happen. And of course, there's lots of promising research happening beyond that. So um, I've been involved with the University of Birmingham BA Systems in um, the development of the Mystique project funded by EPSRC. It's a five million program to develop quantum sensing research across the next five years at the University of Birmingham. So, of course, you know, we will see more research emerging that is ultimately addressing challenges within uh, uh, critical national infrastructure, um, both here in the UK, and those technologies will be applicable uh, more broadly on a a global basis. So um, I think we're going to see it um, permeating into many, many industrial verticals and providing vast improvements to existing incumbent technologies. So it's very exciting time and we're seeing that with the, the funding available by you know governments and, and emerging venture capitalists and i must of course mention qe and uh, stewart's organization who are investor in delta g have been extremely supportive and committed very on very early on in our in our funding rounds so um you know it's about taking these forward and putting the right resources to them to um allow us to realize the, the massive potential in quantum sensing thank you Niall. what about you what's your crystal ball vision Oh, I think I think ideally we 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 I'd love to see um, you know I just love to, even just Meg as a general technique I just love to see it more commonly used I think it's got so much promise the data is so rich and if if quantum sensing is the thing that kicks it in that direction and and that we can have more routine um, MEG scans that, that 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 can help people I think that's great and I think almost the the sensing technology to me it seems like it, it you know quantum sensing is, is so it has so many advantages in so many areas it's almost hopefully going to reach a point where it's not even acknowledged as quantum um you know it's just the thing that that that, that you use and i i can see that that happening um, <laughs> um steward i offer you the last word sure where thank you, you sit? where will I, this go? I think i think from my standpoint if i take you know, what the potential is with regards to medical related quantum sensing, you know, the, the ability to intersect, you know, uh, intersect clinical data with regards to what we're learning from quantum sensors is very exciting, right? You know, to a large extent, this is about calibration of the data that we're receiving to understand it and being able to overlay that with clinical data that we do have an understanding of I think is incredibly fascinating. I think we've all been touched by people who have depression or are suffering from depression or have an addiction. The ability to start to understand some of the the activities, and I'm not saying these are solutions uh, at all, but the ability to have a view of how the chemical balance or the, the chemical changes happen in the brain and those profiles, I think would offer a significant amount, uh, another data point to allow us to start to to help people and to help change, you know, the way they view themselves or, or allow more of an understanding of the situation. I think with regards to, to Delta G and the ability to start to look, uh, 
you know, at the earth and to view the earth in a different way, I think this opens up a completely different fundamental concept of being able to maybe monitor sinkholes in Mexico before they happen, uh, or to be able to anticipate slight changes in the earth's crust. I mean, climate change is causing the world to rapidly dry and in some places dry and other places become wet. Uh, Jakarta is sinking at 30 centimeters a year. The ability to start to monitor under, under, and understand these changes a little faster than they're actually happening to us is what I think some of the quantum sensors on the smart city, smart infrastructure side could offer. Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Niall and Pete and Stuart. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to speak with me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you. All right. So I want to invite people to follow each of you and your companies on LinkedIn. I want to point them to your websites, uh, circumagnetics.com, delta-g.co.uk, quantumexp.co.uk. Uh, Circumagnetics is on uh, Twitter as well, and uh, Circumagnetics and Quantum X, Stuart's company, has a Twitter handle as well. Thanks, Niall, Pete, and Stuart for joining me today, and thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with these distinguished gentlemen and this exciting update on applications of quantum sensors in the real world. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already, and please connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.